Guys, Farzine Vasugan here with you for a bonus edition of the Chief Zone podcast. Very excited for this episode. Special guest for today's show, former Chiefs wide receiver JJ Burden will be joining me in just a moment. Been looking forward to having JJ. I asked a lot of you guys about a month or so ago, who would you like to see on the podcast? And you guys uh, put out so many names out there, and uh, JJ was uh, one of the names that you guys put out there. So uh, JJ is someone who uh, I've been uh, uh, wanting to have on uh, the podcast for quite some time. He's definitely one of the uh, guys uh, on my list, and uh, very excited to have him on the podcast. We'll talk to him shortly. Want to let you know this podcast is brought. Brought to you by SeatGeek. If you want to get your tickets to the Super Bowl, spend the thousands of dollars there. You want to go to a college basketball game, KUMUK State, getting ready for Royals baseball, go to SeatGeek.com. If you're a new SeatGeek customer, you can use my promo code Farzine and save $20 off your first purchase from SeatGeek. Go to SeatGeek.com, use the promo code Farzine, and new customers can save $20 off their first purchase. All right, let's not wait any longer. Let's go ahead and bring in our guest, former Chiefs wide receiver. Played for the Chiefs from 1992, 1994. Uh, been doing a very uh, busy schedule, uh, keeping very active uh, in his world uh, since retirement. A lot of things to get into with this guy right here. J.J. Burden here on the podcast. J.J., thank you so much for joining the podcast. How are you? I'm doing great, Farzine. Thanks for having me on the show. You know, looking forward to share a little bit and talk about some Chiefs football. We're, we're talking about the Super Bowl, JJ. We're, we are going to the Super Bowl. I know. Isn't that cool? I mean, that's just like, that is just amazing what the Chiefs have accomplished over the last five years. And just even these last two years to go back to back to the Super Bowl, that is I don't know if the, everybody realizes how unique and rare that is. And so uh, yeah. I'm expecting them to win back to back. <laughs> All right. I, me too. We will. Uh, we'll get into that shortly. Definitely want to talk about your time with the Chiefs as well as your time in Oregon. Um, but obviously, you know, uh, your, your last time uh, you were with the Chiefs was in 94. You played a couple of years with the Atlanta Falcons uh, since retiring. Uh, what has your life been like? What have you been up to since then? Well, I did what normal NFL players do. They try to figure out what that transition is going to be like. And when I finished my ninth year, I had a variety of um, ideas and things I wanted to do. And I kind of, Farzine, for a couple of years, I dabbled in coaching because I was like, do I want to go into coaching? Yeah. And and then I became an entrepreneur and I ran some businesses and I ran a free camp. And I, I did these things for about 10 years, but it wasn't until about 12 years later, I realized that my passion was more about how can I help people really change their lives, give them value. And so I've been a professional speaker for years now. Um, I work with a health and wellness company too. So it's like my way of kind of helping people achieve the goals that are important to them. Yeah, you, you do a lot of motivational speaking. I see you um, traveling a lot. What is your travel schedule like um, throughout the course of 12 months for you? Yeah, I try to keep it under control. I'm not one of those speakers who wants to be on the road like 200 days out of the year. I try to keep it down to where I could, if I could do at least two to maybe three speaking engagements a month, I find that that's a good pace for me. I can prepare better. I can give my best. Uh, I've had a couple of instances where I've done like four in a week and I was like, no, nah, we're not doing this anymore. <laughs> so but that's that's pretty much what it's like. And, and I think the beauty of what I do is everything that I learn 
in terms of making it to the NFL, standing in the NFL and all the success principles and winning strategies. That's basically what I share to the corporate world to help those business leaders achieve their goals, too. When you're doing your motivational speaking, uh, what are you talking about? What, what are you uh, what are you uh, discussing uh, with, with people out there? Yeah, most of the companies love one presentation I call seizing your opportunities. And it's a simple presentation that no matter what the company's goals are, whatever they're striving for, I can share four principles that help me as an NFL player, an undersized NFL player, exceed and then show them how it relates to them. So I'm showing them simple strategies, whether it's, you know, what does it mean to do the work? What does that look like as a professional athlete? to being in the business world, you know, how important is mindset? How do you overcome challenges? That's a popular topic companies want me to talk about because, you know, I had major challenges my first couple of years before I finally made it. But um, one thing I'm real excited about for seeing, I'll tell you this, and you're going to hear this first. I have a new keynote I'm about to release in two weeks called winning as an underdog. A lot of companies I speak to are smaller companies competing against bigger companies with bigger budgets and bigger resources, and they want to know how to win as an underdog. Well, that's my story, you know, so I'm excited when I release that because that's a message that's dear to my heart. I was listening to a podcast you did, it, and I uh, I can't remember the name of the podcast, but it was an Oregon Ducks um, uh, podcast, and I, I think you had talked about that kind of thing where you know you had a lot of challenges um, growing up, and I and I think I was uh, reading up you um, you had some challenges coming out of high school as well because you were you were not getting a lot of football scholarships, and you were relying more on track and field scholarships to get an opportunity to play college football. Is that correct? That is exactly correct. It was a um... It was a real difficult time for me as an athlete because I was the number one wide receiver in the state. Had all these touchdowns. I was the guy. But colleges saw 5'9", 133, and they just labeled me, go to junior college, go to small college. And I just I took that personally. But I knew that as a track athlete, if I put the work in, I could get a full ride. And I had this plan in the back of my mind that whatever school I go to, I'm going to try to walk on and show them I can play D1 football. Nice. There you go. There's there, there's always a way. There is always a way at the, at the yeah, end. Yeah, there is. And what's interesting, too, is like every school that recruited me in track, because I was like the number two long jumper in the nation, every school D1 said, no, no, no. And Oregon was the only D1 school that said, if you run for us and you can convince the head coach the next year, you have our blessing. And I just say, hey, I just wanted an opportunity. That is awesome. Yeah, I definitely want to go back to that later on and discuss your time in Oregon and uh, becoming uh, a chief eventually getting into the NFL. Um, I, I do want to touch on your podcast as well, um, because I had a chance to listen to a couple of your podcasts this week, and they're pretty short. You just have some motivational tools. And again, these aren't very long. So if someone wants to binge listen, if you would, to a few of your podcasts, they can definitely do that in a short amount of time. Um, tell everyone what that podcast is about, what it's called and how they can find it. Yeah, so I launched my podcast about a year ago. Uh, I had already, always been flirting with the idea of doing a podcast like everybody else, but I came to the realization with my schedule that I just don't have the bandwidth to do a traditional podcast. But I had quite a few people who would follow me on social media, and I would share what I call the daily miss, motivational, inspirational success tips. And one person said, hey, why don't you just throw these on a podcast so I can listen to these while I'm driving in my car or working out and that's how my podcast, The Daily Miss, was launched. And like you said, they're anywhere from 30 seconds to 
you know, eight minutes. And the goal is to just, once again, give the listeners some type of, you know, value or success tip or something to help them move through the day or conquer any challenges that they're, they're dealing with. So I love doing it because it's short, sweet. I'm doing it. I don't, I'm not editing. I don't have any fancy music. It's just raw and real. Here you go. There you go. Easy enough. Easy enough. Good. So uh, check it out. Subscribe to JJ's podcast. If you guys uh, want to check that out. Um, I got to ask, uh, you're in the, uh, you're in uh, Arizona. Is that right? Correct. So, I, I mean, not too far from Vegas. I don't know if, what your plans are. Do you have any set plans for the Super Bowl in nine days? Well, I've kind of gone back and forth on that because I have a, a speaking engagement right around the same time. So even though Vegas is four hours away from us, my wife and I are kind of like, okay, do we do the speaking engagement or do we at least go to the, do the Super Bowl for the activities? Because a lot of players don't go to the Super Bowl because the tickets are ridiculous. Yeah. You know? So we go there to do all the for the alumni activities and there's so much for us to do. So as of right now, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence, but I think I'm leaning towards the speaking engagement because this particular speaking engagement, they actually want me to host a Super Bowl party and then give a presentation too. So I've never done that. So I'm kind of considering doing it. Have you ever been to Allegiant Stadium before? No, um, no, I've only driven by it from the outside, of course, but from everything I've seen and heard, it looks very impressive. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, I've been there for a concert, but it was too dark to kind of see around. I went for the uh, Chiefs Raiders game this year. They have, um, I'm sure you've seen pictures, but they in behind one of the end zones, they have something called the win club field level was something along those lines and it's basically like um I, you know how like in restaurants um if you have like a big group of people you can sit in a yeah. bigger booth for like eight nine ten people so and i have not found an official word on this but there's a like a vegas social media influencer claiming that tickets for that seven hundred thousand dollars i mean Wow. Like who's spending? And, and listen, I'm sure it's not just for one person. It, it, you probably split that up with people, but you're probably still paying almost, you know, six figures or close to it. Like, come on. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that definitely makes that definitely makes you want to just stay home and watch it from the comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's uh it's it's a lot, man. Uh I mean you just you can just like throw, have an over-the-top Super Bowl party. Why not just do yeah. that instead? I, I don't know. Hey, hey, to each their own. To each their own. I agree. I agree. Um, I gotta ask you, uh th this season's been um been interesting, and I've been uh, kind of keeping um, up to date with your posts during the season because, as a former wide receiver, that has been the topic this year for the Kansas City Chiefs: the wide receivers, the drops. And you know, Kelsey, not a wide receiver, of course, but he's been guilty of that as well. But with Kadarius Tony, Sky Moore, uh, Marquez Valdez Scanling, obviously had uh, that big one on Monday Night Football uh, several weeks back, and. For him to redeem himself on that third down play, it, honestly, like watching that, JJ felt like a fourth down play with everything, you know, the timing and everything. I'm just wondering as a former wide receiver watching this team this year with the struggles on offense, specifically at that position, what do you make of this season and how it's gone for Kansas city up to this point? Yeah, that was very frustrating for me. Like you said, being a former wide receiver who's played wide receiver position since he was 15 years old and Catching is never really supposed to be an issue. I mean, by the time you get to college, you've got it down. But by the time you get to the NFL, you've mastered it. It's it's the least of your concern. I mean, yeah, you always do catching drills and all that. 
So I was just really surprised to see the frequency of drops that were taking place. Now, as a wide receiver, I always look at each drop from a different perspective. Sometimes fans don't see maybe there's a reason why they dropped it. Sometimes it could be getting their head up, their hands didn't get up fast enough, it was deflected, the ball was moving, what the lights, it could be anything. But for a series, you know, there was a lot of drops that should have been caught for the Chiefs. And so I'm thinking right away, well, hey, these guys are going to do what I used to do if I dropped a ball. Next day, you go in, you start catching balls, you go back to the basics, the fundamentals, you rebuild your confidence, and you make sure you correct those errors for the next game. But that didn't seem to happen for a while. But but I love seeing what Scanley did because I understand what that's like. And to see him mentally get over the drops, forget about it, let's get back to doing what I do, make catches. I love seeing that because not everybody can do that. And I'll tell you, Razine, I've seen errors by professional athletes at times mentally take them out of the game and mentally affect their career moving forward. So I, I love seeing him making those big catches. Yeah. I was just going to ask you, uh, what was your uh, reaction in that moment when he, uh, when he made that catch? Cause I, I was going crazy with like for in, for it to be him to make that catch. Cause you thought for sure it would either be Kelsey or rice, but no, they went to MVS. Even with all the struggles, they're like, Nope, we're going to you. Yeah. I loved it. I was, my wife is like, she saw it like, yeah, that's how you do it. Cause it's like, I know what he's going through. You know, you're, you're mentally trying to battle through that and get back on track. And it wasn't just an easy catch. That was a great catch. He's yeah. running backwards and he catches it this way. So I was cheering for him and obviously cheering for the chiefs too. You know, one of the things that I've kind of pointed towards, like obviously the players have got to take accountability for that. But my thing is, if it was one wide receiver struggling, I'd, I'd be like, okay, that, that player needs to, to improve on that. But it was happening across the board with the wide receivers. Um, and a lot of people were criticizing Matt Nagy and the wide receivers coach, Connor Embry. Um, I, I'm curious, do you think uh, there's um, some validation in that w with the coaches being responsible for that? Because I think the idea is, yeah, sure, they might be addressing it, but they might not be addressing it well enough if it's still continuing with everybody as the season goes on what's your reaction to that Farzine, i totally agree i i totally agree when there were a couple of jobs the first couple of games you're like okay the players you know they need to get their game together but then when you start seeing the repeated drops easy drops the fundamental basic little drops the things they're not doing then you start i started okay we got to hold wide receiver accountable because someone is not doing their job effectively to hold them accountable. And then that, of course, goes up to the offensive coordinator. But I would probably put more on the wide receiver be coach because the wide receiver coach spends more time with the wide receivers. He's on the practice fields with them. They're doing the drills. They're in the film session. You should be critiquing. I mean, they spend so much time. So it caused me personally to start Googling, okay, who's the wide receiver coach? Now, what is his history? What is his experience? I mean, it caused me to do that. I don't normally do that, but yeah. I, I felt that the wide receiver coach should be held accountable. But at the same time, being a former player, players play, coaches coach. Those players still should know how to make those catches, you know? Uh, I, I don't know if you listen to um... – to uh, the Barstool Sports podcast, part of my take. I know Barstool Sports kind of a controversial website and all some of the things they say, but uh, one of their um, one of their uh, hosts, Big Cat, 
uh, of all people, Big Cat, made a very interesting <laughs> comment saying even that MVS throw to, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, Mahomes throw to MVS on Monday Night Football, what did Mahomes say after the game to the media? He, go, he goes, no, I should I should have thrown a better pass. And even like when Kadarius Tony was off sides and all the drops KT has had, Mahomes, you know, instead of lashing out at his receivers, kind of goes after the ref, which I, I certainly should have been better about that. But my point is, he never once threw the wide receivers under the bus. And Big Cat's point was, that is paying off right now because that made those guys want to play harder for Mahomes because Mahomes, from a public standpoint, just kept praising those guys and said that he's going to keep going to those guys. I think that, that is paying off dividends for this team right now. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's that's what a great leader is supposed to do. A great leader is supposed to hold himself accountable and not blame his teammates because those wide receivers are already beating themselves up mentally. They know they messed up. They know they dropped the ball. They know they're supposed to catch it. So you don't need another player during the game screaming at you and doing that and embarrassing you. Now, I bet I would venture behind the scenes – they probably had a conversation. Hey, let's let's make sure we do this or let's make sure we do that better. And that's what a leader is supposed to do. That's what Joe Montana used to do when I would play with him. If I made a mistake, he really didn't even highlight it. We talked about it later when the media obviously wasn't looking. But I think, like you said, such leadership is very contagious because now guys like, man, I want to play for him. I want to play even better. And now you're seeing the results today. What do you make of uh, guys like Kadarius, Tony, and Sky Moore? I know KT did have knee surgery um, at the uh, beginning of training camp. Andy Reid made a point of that coming off the bye. Um, Sky Moore, it's his second year or second round pick. Generally, second round picks, they can still contribute in a big way. But uh, we just aren't seeing the progress we should be. And I know Sky Moore's hurt right now. There's a chance he might play next week. But um, I, I think in general, though, the progress with those guys um, has not been uh, what anyone wants it to be. What do you uh, think of those two guys? Yeah, it is unfortunate. Like you said, they're dealing with injuries. And, you know, I always try to look at it from a perspective of, you know, someone who played, but also how coaches and personnel are thinking. And when you have a guys, when you have guys like that, that haven't really produced consistently and, you know, reach the kind of potential you expect. This business causes you to start looking for other guys to replace them, you yeah. know. So I just I hope if Sky plays that he performs really well. Tony, I don't know what's going to happen with him. I think that he's really, you know, put himself in a tough situation because of all those drops, and you know that might have a residual effect in terms of what happens to him moving forward. But, but I'm gonna tell you, if it was me and I was running a Chiefs organization, I'm keeping, you know, I'm keeping the main guys who are playing right now. But I'm going to get some. I'm going to get some new guys. I'm going to get a tier one wide receiver. We need a tier one deep threat wide receiver, and get another one, and get someone in draft. They do need to bring in some new talent because I think that's one of the. I don't want to say. Yeah, it's one of the weakest links on the offense. You know, yeah. if you're talking about the particulars. But um, but I do love what we've accomplished so far because, hey, we're in the Super Bowl, so we're doing something right. Yeah. Hey, here's the thing, because a lot of people had been doubting this team. And listen, I, I had my doubts with this football team. Um, and we are, we were all just waiting for them to flip the switch. I mean, what does that say about the other teams and not to, you know, throw other teams under the bus, but the fact that the chiefs had these issues and you know, it's not perfect. They didn't score in the second half uh, in the AFC title game, but still found a way to win. But the fact that they have maybe these offensive struggles that they still need to address, though, I do think they are playing better. 
you know, what does that say about the other teams? I mean, the fact that the Chiefs, I've always just said this about uh, this team with Mahomes and Reed, and even when Alex Smith was the quarterback, this team just doesn't quit. They don't roll over. You throw whatever obstacle you want to throw at them. Super Bowl 54, exactly four years ago today. Last year's Super Bowl, uh, down by 10 at halftime with Mahomes re-aggravating that ankle injury. I mean, this team just does not roll over, and I, I love that about this football team. I know. I, I basically said shame on the NFL because this was supposed to be the, the Chiefs' down year. This was supposed to be their down year. You know, they're a Super Bowl defending champion. You know how hard it is to repeat because every week teams are fired up to beat the champion. That's hard to repeat. Yeah. And as we mentioned, challenges on offense and, and penalties and, and, you know, just not being consistent and losing all those games at Arrowhead. I mean, this was supposed to be a down year. But what we do know is when you have Andy Reid, you have Mahomes, you have Kelsey, you have the experience of that nucleus. I felt, and I even told my wife, I said, they're going to get it figured out when the time is right. And I think that's where that experience kicked in. And that's why you see everybody thought Buffalo was going to beat them. Yeah. Everyone thought the Ravens were going to beat them. The Chiefs are the Chiefs, and they know how to play at their best when they need to. I want to go back to what you were talking about with injuries with uh, some of the younger wide receivers, because I know you dealt with uh, some of that, um, specifically knee injuries. Uh, what is that mindset like? Because if especially like if you are not available, because what do they say? Availability is the best ability and someone else, you know, is performing better. Um, that kind of might mess with your psyche a little bit. And you kind of wonder, you know, is your time limited? Can you maybe walk us through that process and, you know, what a player feels like whenever they're not able to go out there and, and be with the, uh, the rest of the team on the field? Yeah, it's one of the toughest parts that a professional athlete experiences because when you get to the NFL, you, you're the star from college. You're the guy. You have all the accolades, and you just kind of come in here thinking that, okay, I'm just going to duplicate what I've done in the past. And then you have that wake-up call, and you see everybody's a great athlete. Everybody's hungry. Everybody deserves to be there. And so you're doing your best to step up your game. And then when you experience injuries – and you know yeah. you can't play, and your backup is in there, and mentally it starts messing with your mind, and you start thinking that you're not going to make it, you're not going to get a shot, you're not going to be able to take care of your family. All these mental challenges start happening, and the ones that can mentally stay strong and push through it, they can recover. But I tell you, for Zane, there are a lot of guys mentally would take themselves out, and their careers would end just like that. Uh, you mentioned um, on your uh, Instagram story earlier this week, and I laughed at this because you were showing um, your injury papers and you said you were t responding to people claiming that it's rigged or scripted. Now, JJ, listen to this theory because we have Super Bowl 58 coming up. W what's Taylor Swift's favorite number? 13. Well, what's what's eight plus um, five plus eight, 13, the 49ers. What's four plus nine, 13. And I know there are like other 13, uh, uh you know, math, uh, additions out there that, that add up to 13. Um, man, I don't know who has all this time to think about these things. <laughs> What's your reaction? I mean, I know you kind of opened up about that already on your Instagram, but like, what do you make of all these things? Like the chiefs are supposedly paying people or the refs to help them win. Yeah, I, 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 that's why I had to let it go. This, I just let it, let it out there this week. Cause Farzine, I get that question the last couple of years. I seem to get that question often. Is it scripted? Is it fake? Is it like the WWF? Is it like professional <laughs> wrestling? And 
And I just like, I mean, just like it was my video, I'm just like, are you are you kidding me? It's like, you really think this is fake, scripted, or rigged? I mean, it's for someone who was there, I was on four teams. I was in meetings, I was in practices, I was in games. I'm just like, are you kidding me? This is not scripted, it's not fake. Everyone's out there trying to do their job and keep their job to the best of their ability. So, but I understand, you know, if you've never played, you've never been in that environment, I could see why people might think that, but I'm trying to help people understand. How do you script an NFL game? How do you do that? How do you like, okay, you do this and you do that and we're, nah, dude, it's, it is real as can be. That's why I showed my injury report because it's like that thick and I'm talking about all these injuries and so forth. But, um, but you know, with gambling and Vegas and all that, and people think that a lot of that is corrupted the NFL, but from what I can tell and from what I know, the NFL is protected. Now the refs do make bad decisions. They a make lot bad of times. calls. Yeah. They do. They're they're human. And it was one of the things I shared in my video was that when the refs would come to our training camp at the beginning of the year, because reps go to all the training camps, their whole team, and they will they will work our practices through the week. But it was the time that we get to drill them with questions and learn more about them and their process and I left out of their thing and like, these guys are trying to do their best to be accurate, to make the right calls. They don't want to be the reason why a game is swayed in a different way. So I, they're trying their best, but human error does happen from time to time. So, yeah, it, it's just, it's always, you know, when your team is winning, when your preferred team is winning, it's all good. When uh, it's the complete opposite, it's scripted, the refs and all that. I love it, man. It, like whatever the chiefs, when it's not because they played great it's because of the refs it's because someone got paid it's taylor swift taylor swift supposedly told zay flowers <laughs> to fumble on his way to the end zone i mean i, I don't know, I know. If, if you, jackson if, hey throw in a triple coverage so we can get the pick <laughs> i can't believe taylor swift has this much but if, jj if i told you in 1994 that Taylor Swift, who no one knew at the time who she was, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, and the Chiefs would be in the center of a Super Bowl conspiracy theory. I mean, <laughs> would you have believed that? <laughs> no. And and I'll say right here, I love the Taylor Smith uh, or Taylor, Taylor Swift, um, Kelsey story. I love that. I, I love yeah. it. I don't have a problem with it. I mean, I can understand, you know, obviously there's the connection between the two. I'm just amazed at how many people are just just so angry and upset about it. And, and I love that stat that I saw. Like they said they show an average of 20 seconds yeah. during a game. And, you know, let's not forget, I said the NFL is a business and it's about marketing and I don't have a problem with it. I just wish people would not make such a big deal of it, you know? Yeah. It, it, to me, it's like, it's harmless. Like no one's dying. No one's getting hurt over it. I mean, if you're easily, uh, no, Colin Coward had a very interesting monologue on this. He goes, judge people by how upset or how easily they uh, get annoyed over like the smallest things in the world. It's like, right. come on. There, there are like, do, do you know what's happening in the streets, you know, all over the world? I mean, there are so many horrible things happening. We need to save our outrage for that kind of stuff. But yeah, I hope they make it. I do. I, I'm rooting yeah. for them. I hope they make it. <laughs> I, 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 supposedly, you know, I mean, it, it's just interesting, like two happy people. And right. we don't we all have enough negativity in this world? Come on. It's a good story. I know. And imagine the pressure 
those two have to be under. They're, they're just trying to date, and they can't even date normally. I mean, they can't just, hey, let's go to a movie. Let's go out to dinner. I mean, just imagine the pressure they're on because they are together. I could not imagine just being, like, I mean, being a celebrity, being, you know, uh, out in the open like that. People know who you are. I'm sure that's already a big deal. But then it's like people are predicting when you're going to get engaged. It's like, Jesus oh, Christ, yeah. people, come on. Uh, that's interesting. Um, I do want to get back to the uh, Chiefs for a moment. We haven't had a chance to talk about this defense much. Um, you know, I'm sure you've got up against a lot of great defenses in your past. What, what do you make about this Chiefs' current defense, which since week 13 or 14, they have not allowed more than seven points in the second half? Yeah, very impressed with them. I think Spagnuolo has done a great job and just watching them closely. I love the aggressive way they play. They play a lot of man-to-man. And, and typically in the NFL, you know, teams don't try not to play, be dominating in man-to-man. Because when you play man-to-man, there's a chance somebody's going to be win one-on-one. But I see the Chiefs, man, they're locking guys up, playing man-to-man, man-free, double, uh, double safeties. And they're doing a great job. And they're getting the pressure on the quarterback. And it's just, it's a joy to see because when I watch games, every time I watch a play, I still think like a player. I always look at what's the formation is anybody going in motion is it man or zone and every time i see the chiefs defense most of the time going in motion they're in man to man here it comes you know so it's just really good to see that attitude and that intensity and that pride they're playing with now because because the offense has really been the one that's carried the chiefs over the years now right now it's the defense yeah, and, and that's why, like, whenever people criticize Mahomes, oh, he's getting carried by the defense. I'm like, so what? In Mahomes' first year, he carried a 31st-ranked defense. Yeah, they co-led the league in sacks, but I think, you know, and don't get me wrong, that should not be taken away from them, but I think they also played a lot more snaps, uh, defensive snaps that year. But my point is, as a redshirt rookie, he was an offside-slash-overtime away from taking that 31st-ranked defense to the Super Bowl. It's like... I think we can all live with the defense kind of maybe uh, d- d- uh, returning the favor to Mahomes after all these years. Cause we've always talked about the chiefs and needing to score 30 or 40 to be able to win. Well, now it's right. the opposite. So I, I love seeing uh, what we're um, seeing from this, uh, from this defense. Um, what, what do you think about this defense going up against that high powered uh, tr- uh, 49ers offense? Because I think this is for sure the deepest uh, offense the chiefs are going to be facing this year. Yeah, I agree with you there. But I also have confidence that, you know, Spagnuolo, they'll put together a defensive plan to try to contain some of those weapons, to try to put that pressure on, on you know, Brock Parity and, and just bring a kind of a intensity to the defensive scheme like they did with the Ravens. I mean, whoever thought they would contain and rattle Jackson the way they did. He's been dominating all year. So I have no doubt that they'll be able to do the same thing. But the other thing that I love, and this is, I think, that hopefully everybody has recognized this with the Chiefs, they have the ability to make those adjustments at halftime. You ever notice when they come out in the second half how much more focus and discipline and effective they are defensively in that second half. I mean, it's it's one of their um, competitive advantages, being able to make the right adjustments at halftime. That's the weird thing about this defense. As great as they are, they do get off to shaky starts, like that Raiders game in uh, Vegas. They they were down 14-0. They were down 14-0 to Buffalo in the regular season, 17-7 to the Bengals. Um, and they won all of those games except for the Buffalo one, which 
we all know how that happened. But hey, I mean, they bounced back in the playoffs when it mattered the most. Um, they do get off to these very shaky starts, but they always find a way. I've said this for so many years. Andy Reid and Spags are the best at making adjustments. I think that is a huge advantage for the Chiefs going into the Super Bowl for sure. I agree. Giving those guys, and in particular Andy Reid, giving them two weeks to put together a game plan uh, versus the 49ers, I think it once again, it gives him an advantage. When you've been coaching as long as he has, and he's seen it, done it, he's seen everything, the different types of you know attacks defensively and offensively, you always have an answer. So um, that too gives us confidence too with the two weeks in preparation. I wanted to ask you about your uh, playing time in the NFL. You obviously were an eighth round draft pick real quickly. Before we get into that, what do you make of the fact that there is no more eighth round in the NFL? Is that ever anything you've ever like thought of or, or cared about? Yeah, I was, I just, yeah, I always wondered why, because there are so many good players out there who do not get a chance to make it in the NFL. There, there really is. And when we had 12 rounds, at least you could kind of take a flyer on guys at eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Now, obviously they're free agents now, but I'm just glad they had that because I was one of the guys, Hey, let's take a flyer on this track guy who only had one touchdown in college in the eighth round, you know? So, uh, cause you look at, Purdy, he was drafted in the seventh round. Yeah. You know, and we obviously seen how well he's done. But on a side note, I'm happy to see there's another league that those the the, the two leagues that are merging now in the spring leagues, because Farzine, I can't tell you, there's so many great players out there who are good enough to play in the NFL, but because of circumstances they can't control they don't get their shot so it's just nice to see another league popping up you were drafted by the browns and that's uh where marty schoenheimer was um if i if i recall correctly and then uh you eventually rejoined him in kansas city uh what was your uh, first impression of uh of, of coach marty schoenheimer in cleveland and um what was that connection like reuniting with him in kansas city yeah marty my my first impression of marty was i was like marty is hard core old school and i like coaches like that because they just want you to do their job your job if you do your job and you can be counted on you're like one of their guys and i was one of marty's guys and i could tell right away because he drafted me in cleveland and i remember the conversations we had before i got hurt but when he uh left and then i went to dallas but that third year i had like four or five teams interested in me i was a free agent and Marty was one of them. And I thought Kansas City was going to give me the best opportunity. Marty was there. They didn't have a receiver that could run a 4-3, you know. And I just felt that was the best chance for me to make it. And, and he, you know, he gave my shot. And it turned into a longer career. That uh, that regular season um, finale against the Raiders, you, I mean, you went out. You had almost 200 yards and I think two touchdown catches. Did that have a big uh, role in uh, helping you extend your time in Kansas City? Yeah, that changed my career. That was the game that really changed my career because I that was my fourth year, and I hadn't really made an impact. I with the Chiefs my third year, caught some long passes. Then my fourth year, I think the Chiefs were trying to decide what this what to do with me because they had drafted some players, and they obviously were starting to get more opportunities. But at the end of the season, they just reached the conclusion that we need to give JJ a fair shot and let's see what he can do. And that's literally what the conversation was like that last game against the Raiders, Marty and um, Al Saunders said, we're going to play you a lot this game, take advantage of it. 
And Farzine, they did. They threw me to rock all day long. I had eight catches, 188 yards, two touchdowns of 52 yards and 57 yards. And that changed the trajectory of my career because the very next week after we lost the playoffs, Marty calls me into his office and I'm thinking I'm in trouble. I was like, they're going to cut me. They're not going to sign me back. He goes, how would you like to be a starter in the NFL? And I was like, what? He goes, how would you like to start? I'm like, I was just trying to stay on the roster. What do you mean? But I ended up starting for the remaining five years of my career. And that game was a pivotal moment in my career. And I would all to Marty because he said, I'm going to give you a shot, kid. Take advantage of it. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, I, I'm curious because I, I, I could have, I, I just can't imagine like the social media reactions at that time if social media did exist. Uh, because a lot of times when there's news, everybody hears it in real time, just about. But uh, whenever the Chiefs got Joe Montana, what was your reaction? Do you remember where you were when you uh, found out about that news? I do. I was in Hawaii, I was on vacation. And I remember reading the newspaper first said that Montana is considering, I think it was us in Tampa Bay, or I can't remember who it was. It was two teams. And I was, and I thought, Montana's not coming to Kansas City. Forget that. And the very next day, Montana signs with Kansas City. And I was like, no way. No way. No way. I just, I couldn't get over that. And then I remember walking into our meeting for the first time, and Joe Montana walks in. I was like, that's Joe Montana. I was like, that's Joe Montana. I, I couldn't get over that because I was in the eighth grade watching Joe Montana throw us throw touchdown passes. But it was just such a great experience. And I'm all, I've always considered myself a learner. You know, it's like success leaves clues. What can I learn from him? And those two years, Farzine, I watched him like a hawk. And I try to learn just some of the principles and strategies that made him great. And some of those I teach in my presentations. And one of the things I tell people is this. And anybody listening, this is a good point because sometimes in life, you know, we can we can be successful and we can achieve things and we can we can become complacent. We can get comfortable and we can get a little cocky at times and we stop doing the work that helped us achieve the goal. Joe didn't do that. I mean, even after all his achievements, Joe came in, he studied like a rookie, he led like a veteran, and he was just a complete leader and he lifted us up right away and that's why i say he produced the montana effect we went right to the afc championship game yeah what what was that like getting ready for uh for a big game because prior to the mahomes era um that uh, you know in between mahomes and len dawson you know that's um that's the uh furthest the chiefs ever got to a super bowl at the time what was it that week preparing for a big game like that it was exciting and the difference that year was because, you know, we were always good. We'd make it to the playoffs. But the difference was having Montana and having that confidence that we have a leader that has been there, done that. He's been in these scenarios. Because in the past, we had some good quarterbacks. But you always question at the end of the game, could that quarterback lead us to a victory? Could he lead us to a comeback? And you didn't have to question Joe Montana. It was more about focusing on make sure you do your job because he's going to do his job. And we went into that Buffalo game fully confident. I thought we were going to win that game. And then once Montana got knocked out, then I knew it was not going to happen. Uh, Another epic game with Montana was that game against Elway on uh, Monday Night Football against Denver. Um, What was that? What was the atmosphere like? Because you had a touchdown in that game as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that was a nice relief to a long 
series of losing to Elway at the end of the game. And I don't remember. I think we had lost to Elway like five or six times in a row. Yeah. But that game was different because, again, we had Montana. And in that last drive, I remember when we had the ball last and it was a minute and a half or something like that, you had no doubt in your mind that we were going to go down the field. And here's what's cool about Montana. A lot of people don't know this. That very last play, Willie Davis caught the touchdown but the play was called for me. It was X corner and I was double team. So Montana looks here and I'm double team. So he goes off me. He comes inside. Willie's the third option and Montana makes the perfect throw outside. Willie makes a great catch and we win. But again, it just represents the kind of professional we had is that, you know, it was for me, but he not there, not there. I'm going to my third option touchdown. That is awesome. That's pretty cool. Uh, what would have been cooler if you had that touchdown? But hey, you guys, yeah, uh, found right. you know what's you know what's crazy though. So many people in social media will say, "Oh, I remember when you caught that touchdown to win the game and gets Denver and Monday night." I'm like, uh, "That wasn't me. That was really Davis." <laughs> <laughs> um, I do want to go back to your first year with the Chiefs because there was something interesting. I asked uh, your uh, teammate Christian Okoye about this because. Um, you know, for, for as much as Chiefs fans are bandwagon fans, I think a lot of people forget in 1990, uh, Chiefs fans did a good job of making John Elway request to the referee to quiet the crowd. Um, you were on the sidelines, of course, when that was happening. What was your reaction when a quarterback was trying to get the referee to silence the crowd at that time? That was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. Cause you, you're listening to the crowd. It was loud. And now you're thinking about, man, you're just a baby. Stop being a baby, Elway. Just call your plays. We were having so much fun with it on the sideline because it's very rare that you see that. But that's the magic of playing at Arrowhead. You know, when the crowd gets rocking and rolling, you feel bad for the opponents. I'm just glad that when I played for the Falcons, I never had to play in Arrowhead and experience that from the other side. Um. Talk a little bit about your time in Oregon, because we did allude earlier. Um, you uh, went in there with uh, with a track and field uh, scholarship. You uh, tried to make your way to the uh, football team, um, and you tried to make the best of your opportunities there. I know you still dealt with some knee injuries at the time, but what was it like uh, being with Oregon, uh, which is obviously a, a very um, storied uh, football program there? Yeah, it was pretty exciting because that was that was sort of my my dream school because I was a track guy and Oregon had the track history and it was, you know, two and a half hours from my hometown in Portland. So I was very pleased and relieved that the only school who was okay with me trying football at some point was the Oregon Ducks. And, and it was exciting too, because when I first got there the year before Oregon was, you know, they were like three and 10 or something like that. And then, then we went five and six, five and six, six and five, six and five. And then I left Two years later, they went to their first bowl in years. So I feel to this day that we were part of the foundation of what you see today. Because my senior year, I remember that they had these young studs coming in like Bill Musgrave and Derek Lavelle and Chris Oldham and Terry Obie and, you know, Tony Hargane. These were all young guys that went to the NFL. So you could see the quality of athletes that Oregon was starting to get, get um, you know, join them was really starting to lift the program and and what you see today i mean i'm just proud to be a duck because i remember when we just sucked <laughs> nobody cared about the ducks now everybody knows about the ducks yeah what would you make of uh this past season uh 12 and 2 season fiesta bowl win uh what'd you think of all that 
Uh, very impressed. It was, it was a good year. Dan Lanning keeps doing a really good job of building the program. And I think I was more impressed with the fact that he stayed at Oregon, that he didn't take the job at Alabama, go anywhere else. And yeah. I had a chance to meet Dan about um, a month before the season ended. And just talking to him, I could just tell there was something a little different about him. And he shared with me, he's like, hey, I used to watch you because I went to William Jewell College. I, I remember you at training camp. And he said, he goes, you don't have to worry about me leaving for some big school. I went to William Jewell College. Oregon is my big school, you know. So I, I felt confident that, okay, I think he's going to stay there for a while and really build a program and a legacy. Oh, wow. What a small world. <laughs> Yeah, um, I know. And you know what else? I'll tell you this. The practice I went to, his parents were visiting from wherever he's from, and they were also at training camp during those days when we were at William Jewell College. So I met his dad and his mom, and they were like, oh, I remember you. And so it was pretty cool. Well, that is awesome. That is really cool. Um, I have to ask, uh, with everything happening with the Pac-12 right now, and um, I, I know it was not called the Pac-12 when you were playing. What was it? The Pac-10? Pac-8? Pac-10. Pac-10. Yeah. Uh, What's your uh, reaction to, to seeing that conference and the state it's in right now? Well, obviously, I wish the Pac-12 could have stayed intact. I do wish they could have just kept the Pac-10 together. Uh, but I understand. I mean, I understand the move. I understand the changes. I don't agree with all the changes that are happening in college football with, you know, transfer portal and, and how the NIL is done. I think it's changed so much, but I think that schools like Oregon and other schools, you know, they had to make such changes because of the way the, the, the game is evolving and growing and so forth. So it's going to be weird. I tell you, cause Pac-10 got 12 guy all my life to see Oregon in the big 10 and just, you know, but I, I, I love what they're doing in the off season as far as building up their teams and so forth. I worry about some of the other school, the programs like the, the softball team and maybe the basketball yeah. team, just the traveling that's going to be involved now. It's going to be interesting to see how that goes. It's so weird for the Big 12. Like you have a team in pretty much all four time zones now. I mean, part of these conferences is so the parents and close friends, family members, they can all like come out to all the games for um, – uh, for the family member that's a student athlete, and now it's just like you know you have to pick and choose where to go. Um, that's that's very unfortunate. That's the unfortunate part about all this. I know there's money involved. I get it, but I don't know. It's uh, it's, yeah, a, it's, it's a bad the situation. Game is, I mean, for Zine, the game has changed so much. It's just like, oh man, it's just you're kind of like you're, you're definitely. I'm kind of like glad I'm not playing today. I mean, I would love yeah. to have the NIL though. Don't, yeah, I'd look. You know, being a two sport athlete at Oregon who was pretty poor i would love the nil but other than that you know everything else is crazy uh before i let you go uh one last super bowl question uh you got a score for uh, for this one yet yes i have 31 to 24 the chiefs okay i have 31 17 so uh we're not uh we're not we're one score apart on there i love it hey uh, i know there are some people uh coming in and out of the chat the the live uh for uh facebook and youtube so for those who came in late if they missed it at the beginning uh, how can they check out the stuff you do, your podcast, all that stuff? Uh, please plug it one more time before we let you go. Yeah, definitely. Uh, my website is jjburden.com. I'm all over social media. If you look up JJ Burden, I'm everywhere. And then my website or my podcast is jjburdenpodcast.com. So that's where you get your daily miss success tips. 
Okay, awesome. And I can say if you just uh, type in JJ Burden on um, any podcasting site, it does come up. So you can definitely right. check that out and subscribe to that. JJ, uh, we kept in touch for quite some time. I know we've had some other interactions on social media as well. And I feel like you're one of the former Chiefs that's out there on social media and keeps in touch with a lot of uh, fans and interacts with a lot of uh, Chiefs fans out there, which is really cool. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. Hopefully we can do this again down the road. You enjoy uh, the uh, Super Bowl hype for the next nine days and uh, best of luck on your speaking engagements. Yeah, thank you for Zine. Thanks for having me on the show and go Chiefs. All right. Thank you, JJ. We will keep in touch. You take care of yourself. Appreciate you coming on the podcast. Appreciate all of you guys for downloading and listening to this episode of the Chief Zone podcast. Our big thanks to JJ once again. Uh, very busy schedule uh, that he's got. And uh, like I said, we've been keeping in touch for uh, quite some time. And uh, he was very gracious to uh, give us uh, some of his time here on the pod. So uh, a lot of great stuff from JJ, especially a lot of the wide receiver stuff. And just, you know, I, I can't imagine like, you know, you go through injuries, you go through the struggles and yeah, you, you should be concerned um, there. I mean, there are guys on this team right now, even though the chiefs are on their way to a super bowl, there are guys that probably have to be thinking about, you know, is there time, um, is there time uh, numbered limited in Kansas city? Uh, we'll find out. Obviously, we got a uh, big game on the way in nine days. Hey, for those of you who are watching on Facebook and YouTube Live, I will be back later tonight. We will do a Red Friday live chat. Not exactly sure what time, 6, 7 o'clock, somewhere around there. Uh, but uh, just uh, stay uh, subscribed. Uh, make sure you're following, and you'll get a notification whenever I go live. So we will do our Red Friday live chat later today. For those of you listening on the podcast version, if you listen in time, uh, be sure to join us for the Red Friday live chat tonight. All right. My name is Farzim Vasugian. Thank you to everyone who watched and listened live or for those who downloaded and listened to the archive version of the podcast. Once again, big thanks to former Chiefs wide receiver J.J. Burden for joining us on the podcast. All right, guys, I'm out of here. Nine days away. The clock is ticking. We are getting closer and closer to Super Bowl 58. I'm out. I'll talk to you all later. Take care.